Welcome to Momentum Church. Welcome to week three of Mastermind, and this is week three, but it's the second week of Train Your Brain. Last week we looked at Train Your Brain 1, this week we're looking at Train Your Brain 2, and then just to give you a heads up, next week Pastor Brantley will be finishing this series as he looks at identity, and so identity wraps up in all of these things, and so don't miss next Sunday. I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 through 9. Let's stand for the honoring of God's word today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 through 9. Again, this series, I'm using a lot of the scriptures over and over. It's not because I can't find new scriptures, amen? It's because part of this is repetition. That's how we train our brain. And so it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I want to stop right there. I know you're still standing. That's okay. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Think these things. All right. Think about these things. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Everybody say practice. Say think. Say practice. Say think. See what I did there as I wrote? Got you saying stuff. <laughs> Give me some time. Goes on. And the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. What is that? That's experiencing. Experiencing. I'm going to write experience peace. I'm just going to say peace. But that's the desired outcome. And the God of peace will be with you. Experience. Father, in the name of Jesus, today, allow all the things we've talked about the last couple weeks come together to give us a tool that we can begin to walk in the peace of God, the provision of God, the hope of God. Lord God, the life that you have called us to walk in, the destiny that you have for us. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have your all seats. And so as we've been looking at this series, we were showing how science had caught up with theology. And we were showing how these three categories, when it comes to the idea of behavioral therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy, that think these things, this, this, think. How did I do that? Think. I messed up right off the bat. Think these things that think is speaking of intention intention all right when it comes to the idea of practice these things it's speaking of repetition repetition and then finally when it speaks of outcome it is speaking or speaks of experience it's speaking of outcome outcome all right so everybody say those say intention repetition and outcome 
an outcome. And so when Paul was writing this, he was giving us, I believe, a tool, all of Philippians. If you look at Philippians, the whole book that Paul wrote, it is a mental mandate for spiritual success. If you want to know what to do with your mind and how to grab a hold of your mind, how to keep your mind in check, what your mind should be thinking, and actions that should take place when your mind is struggling, go read Philippians. I'm serious, I'd encourage you just for the rest of the next week, between now and seeing Brantley preach next week, just get into the book of Philippians because as I said, it is a mental mandate for spiritual success. A mandate is how you command something. It is a way that you can command your mind to think. Think on these things. You are commanding yourself, right, to think a certain way. And that whole book, that whole epistle of Paul focuses in on that. When Paul reveals to us, he reveals to us this, this idea that our thoughts have the power to shape our lives. Now, I'm not trying to get metaphysical. I'm trying to get really physical. Let's get physical. Because we've been teaching you that literally your thoughts shape your brain. Like it literally changes the neuropathways in your brain. It literally changes what's going on in your head physiologically. So I'm not getting metaphysical. When I say you change your thoughts, you change your life. I'm talking about structurally, literally, it is changing who you are. And Paul knew that. And so he challenges us to, to think about these things, to have thought and intention, not to go through life just allowing thoughts to come, but to take control of those thoughts and to do something with those thoughts. As we have the right thinking, he says, now practice or have repetition. Act on these things. It's not just enough to think it. Well, I want to buy flowers for my wife. Baby, I wanted to buy you flowers. I thought about buying you flowers. Where's the flowers, man? Where's, right? Where's the flowers? No, think and act. Like, like follow through is important, right? And then... Paul shows us as we go into that, and I told you that's a feedback loop. As you're thinking and practicing, thinking and practicing, something is happening in your brain that's creating these larger pathways, neuropathways, that make it easier for you to walk down those to the desired outcome that you have. That's the outcome or the experiencing of those things. And so here's the thing about think on these things or think these things. When I think of think, okay, when Paul says think, I believe there are two things that are inferred that we can pick up from just that one statement. Think on these things. Two things that are inferred. The first, you have the power to choose. So if Paul's telling you, think on these things, he's saying that you have the power to choose what your mind does. Amen? Well, it's not my fault, the devil. It's not my fault, my friend. It's not my fault, my, my spouse gets me so discouraged. It's not my fault, my boss. No, 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 he's saying, you think on these things. You have power to choose. Choice demands intention. If you have power to choose, then you have to be intentional. I go back to my relationship again with Amy. I chose her. I choose you. And then I walk away. No, no, no. My choice was followed by intention. I had power to choose. And then with that power to choose, I had to be intentional if I was going to walk into the destiny with this diva that I walk in today. Amen? Yeah. 
So thoughts are important, but it speaks of intention. You have the power to choose. And you have to be intentional with what you're focusing your thoughts on. That's why that first week I had you exercising with what are you thinking about? Take thought about what you're thinking about. That's all I want you to do, to think about what you're thinking about. So important. The second thing that when Paul says think on these things, and you realize that you have a choice, thinking and choosing infers the second thing, and that is this. If you have a choice, guess what else you have? You have options. Think on these things. You have power. And you have options. Those are the two things that are inferred by that one statement. Think on these things. You say, I have options. And now here's the thing. One option you don't have is to not think. I mean, we say it to our children, you know. Are you thinking? (laughs) But no, no, every one of us is always thinking. So one of the options isn't to not think. No, no, the option isn't to think or not think. You're going to think. The option is what will you choose to think upon? That's the option. Will you choose to think upon, as Paul says, the honorable or, see, you have power to choose, to be intentional, and now there's choice. So what are the options? He, he says to think on what is honorable. So that means there's a choice to think on what is dishonorable, right? He, he says to think on those things that are just, so there's a choice to think on those things that are unjust. He speaks to us and says, whatever is pure. So you have a choice to think on those things that are pure or those things that are impure or evil. And finally, I love this. He says, think on those things that are true. Now, I think this is the crux of everything. Because most of the things that challenge our destiny, most of the things that challenge our outcome, those things that we repeat over and over and we're so frustrated with, they are tied to lies. And embracing and holding on to the lie and repeating the lie in our mind and being shaped by the lie literally in our brain, that outcome becomes inevitable over and over and over to the point that's just who I am. That's just how my people are. That's just how my family, that's just how my... And so you have an option and the power. The power to choose between what is true and what is false. And he says, think on these things. Think on those things that are, every shout, true. You see, we have in every moment the opportunity to think upon the truth over our lives or the lie over our lives. Every single one of us. And I'm going to give you a little insight into a lie over my life. And I've kind of alluded to this before. When I was a kid, I talked a lot. I know it's hard for you to believe. And I kind of talk like I do now, kind of the same kind of words, and, the, and, and, and it's just kind of dramatic, and it's, I've always been this way, right? So when I was a kid, especially in junior high, it was very common for me to hear three words, all right? And I bet you don't know what those three words were. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Shut up, Ross. Shut up, Ross. And I would hear them. And here's the thing. That got into my head so much so that guess what? I'll be 50 in a few weeks. I still battle with that lie in my head that I have nothing to say, nothing of value. I'm just a blowhard. I'm just hyper. I'm just, you fill in the lines. And so you're like, some of those are true, right? <laughs> but I still battle with that. Okay. I'm just being honest with you. I still battle. I still hear the shut up Ross in my head. 
And so here's what happens invariably. When I go to an event, when I go someplace, the lie starts. You're going to say something stupid. You're going to overtalk. You're going you're gonna to stutter. You're going to this. You're going to that. You're gonna, you know what I mean? I can hear the shut up, Ross, in the back of my head. And I'm not telling you one event. I'm telling you every event, everything I go to, and the the, the, the greater the leaders are that's there, if you will, the ones that, that cause you to feel insecure, you know how that is? Because everybody feels that stuff, right? Right? Man, the more I get worked up about it, and I literally will hold that lie, and if I'm not careful, Amy's seen, it, me, seen this with me before, if I'm not careful, I don't come into that event as myself. I don't come into that event present, I come into the event all worked up by an outcome that was set in me in sixth and seventh grade. I come into that event bound to pass lies. And next thing you know, guess what? I can't say a thing straight. I, I know the word. And we're sitting there talking about the word, and I can't recall. I'm, my mouth feels like I'm getting thick-tongued. Have you ever felt that way before? And I'm like, and then it's like it's better for a man to stay silent and prove himself ignorant, right? There's a proverb like that. Just stay silent, you know? It's, and so I'm just telling you something. That's something that I have to every time I go to places. The gala, the sheriff's going to be there. Business owners are going to be there. Ross, you, I'm not a business owner. I mean, this is a church, but Ross, you've accomplished some pretty neat things. I know. God has done it in me and through you and all of us together. Yes, but that lie over my life has been something I have to fight with truth all the time. Amen? I don't know what the lie is for you, but I'm just saying that lie over us, if we're not careful, it will continue to, to create outcomes in our life based on that lie. Remember how neuroplasticity works. If your focus is on the lie... Not just the temptation caused by the lie. Not just the weakness caused by the lie. But the underlying lie. If your focus is on that underlying lie, you will create neural pathways that make living in that lie automatic. What you think about eventually, those intentions and those thoughts, it will eventually become what you practice, what you repeat and it begins to shape you over and over and over. The thinking and the intention moves to repetition and practice, and that starts to create this, this feedback loop. So you start to have a feedback loop that causes this outcome to happen. And then you feed back to this, and it comes back again and over and over and over. And there's a point you've got to break that lie for sure, because the feedback loop is what will start to create ruts in your life. That feedback loop, this is just, I can't, I can't go into a, a, a situation where there's a lot of people and not get worked up and not get nervous and not try to fix the lies by over-talking. Fix the lies by trying to, to, to now move into being a performer letting you into my psyche a little bit. And then you get in the car and you drive away. You're like, oh, I don't want to be a clown. I don't want to perform. You know, I want to be legit. God, you've put good stuff in me. I want to, I want to come to the table 
in the maturity that you have in me. I don't want to come to the table as a sixth, seventh grader, as a junior higher emotionally. But all of that feedback loop is strong. Now, I can tell you right now, time after time, hundreds of times, I've conquered this. But I can tell you also, hundreds of times, I've had to get the right feedback going before I got there to walk in that outcome. Amen? I hope you're getting something out of this. So here's what happens. When I'm feeling that, something has to happen to, to keep from walking in that inevitable outcome. Something has to happen. And it doesn't happen in your actions. It doesn't happen between here and here, between your, your practicing these things. When you want to see that different outcome, it has to happen right here. This, this change, if you're going to create a different feedback loop, and walk in a different outcome has to happen between the thinking these things and the practicing these things. It has to in that area. And I'm going to tell you the tool that I want to teach you today that is going to help do this. And what that tool is, it's the tool called reframing. Because there's a frame. There's a picture of who you are. There's a picture of little, short, chubby Ross Allen Wiseman in 6th, 7th grade. And that framed picture is my outcome. And if I let that person talk to me and lie to me, I would never have been able to do the things we've done the last 20-some years, 30 years. And so my reframing has been of such... No, I'm getting ahead of myself, because that's not my notes. I didn't plan on telling you about myself. I really didn't. Let me give you what reframing is, and I'll tell you what my reframing has been of such and how it's created different outcomes in my life. Reframing is a technique used in cognitive behavioral therapy to identify automatic thoughts and replace them with more balanced thoughts. Now, we are spirit-filled people in this house. Amen? So I'm going to say it this way, that they, we identify those automatic thoughts and we replace them with more biblical thoughts. Those biblical thoughts are balanced thoughts. It's the practice of identifying and stopping distortions and negative thoughts is, and it's crucial in breaking the rut that you find yourself stuck in. And so my reframing started when I was a little boy. My reframing started with the idea that I would feel less and I'd feel lack and I'd get picked on and all those things. And I, my reframing was, I'll freaking show you. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly good either. Because in that, it can become a performance-driven thing, right? It can become you're always chasing the next success, the next win. And God had to work that out of me in my 20s because I started to go too far into that. But at 10 years old, it was one of those things where I'm feeling this, and in junior high, I'm feeling this, and it was one of those things where I'm going to push, and if the soccer coach told me, and he did in eighth grade, you know what? I'm sitting on the bench. It's a new school. Well, I'm sorry I'm chubby, but I can freaking play soccer. I didn't tell him that, but in my head, that's what I was thinking. And he set me on the bench. I'd never been on the bench since I was four years old. I was a soccer player, man. And he sits me on the bench, new school, and I'm, I'm thick, but I can move. I'm telling <laughs> And I told him, I said, I'll be on varsity next year. Okay, Ross. Guess what? I got my varsity letter my freshman year. Why? Because I wasn't going to allow the negative loop to continue in my head. And I can give you example after example after example. And it wasn't because Ross is so good at accomplishing. No, it's because I'm so weak. And in my brain, there are so many lies. And I would let God reframe those things in my life and walk up into what God had for me next. And I wish I could say those old thoughts stopped, but they didn't. 
We're getting ready to go to the Southeast Asian country. This week we leave to minister. Pray for us. We're going to be ministering 15 times, literally in eight days. Multiple times in churches, house churches. But then also our, our, our marriage conference. It's two sets of six sessions. So that's 12 times. Man, I'm telling you right now, I don't feel up for it. Amy and I, we don't feel, like, if God doesn't show up, but I can sit there and play that, that thinking game, I don't have what it takes. We're not going to be able to meet these needs. God wouldn't work. You know, we can have those thoughts, or we can begin to insert reframing. God, you've been faithful to us time and time and time again. When we open your mouths, you speak. And we're just going to be faithful to open our mouths and trust you. Amen? What if I have symptoms next week of Lyme stuff? You know what? God, I, I, I'm believing I'm not going to, but if I do, I know when I open my mouth, you'll speak. If I got to preach from a chair, you'll do what you desire to do. Amen? That's reframing. That's taking those thoughts and saying, no, I'm reframing it in a new way. It's the practice of identifying and stopping distortions, I said. Those negative thoughts, it's so crucial if you're going to break the rut in your life. 1 Corinthians 5, I love this, 1 Corinthians 10, rather, 5 and 6, when it talks about this idea of reframing, grabbing a hold of those lies, watch what it says. Cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And be ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Those thoughts that come that want to cause you to walk out an outcome that would be an outcome that would be a, a, a opposite God's best in that moment. I would call that disobedience. Opposite God's best. When those thoughts come, we are to grab those thoughts. We're to take captive, to take hold of those thoughts. Well, what are we doing with those thoughts? We're taking hold of them right here. We're reframing those thoughts so that we can work backwards once we have a reframe. Okay, what am I supposed to think? I've grabbed this thought. And we're going to give you a tool before we leave here on how to do that. I've grabbed this thought. I'm reframing this thought. Now what? How do I go? Now I go back and I think the right thing. I get my mind engaged going down that path for an inevitable outcome. I can tell you right now, 100%, I know that when we come back from that country, we will have testimonies of lives changed. We will have testimonies of healings. We'll have testimonies of marriage saved. We'll have I know it without a doubt, not because of anything special in Amy and I's life, but because I know when I was 19, I didn't feel enough, and I would begin to take Mike in hand and preach his word. God would do something. Not because of me, because I was dealing with all those lies. But he's faithful. And he would do something. And I could have confidence. And guess what that did? That created a really broad pathway in my mind that knows, that knows I'm going to, and I wish I could break free from the lie completely, but it knows I'm going to feel the lie. I'm going to reframe the lie. I'm going to do it anyhow, in spite of the devil, and God's going to get the increase. I just know it. That's my pathway. I wish the pathway didn't include the lie part. I wish I could get so confident in him that the neural pathway went straight to, come on, Jesus, do what you want to do. But for whatever reason, it hasn't happened yet. Maybe it's just a humbling thing. Like, I'm gonna, boy, I'm going to keep you on your knees till I bring you home. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. It'll be 31 years. It's come in March, so it hasn't changed. 
But there's a pathway there that is wide. My, my synapses, they follow that. I feel the lie. I reframe the lie. I start to speak that truth. I begin to walk in that, that repetition, that practice. And I see the outcome time and time and time again. Y'all are sitting in part of that outcome. Amen? As we have done this together all these years. So we have been held captive at times, though, by lies. And so what we need to do, as the scripture says, is we take those lies captive. We capture the lie. And it's not easy because first we must realize that lie. And I want to give you a four-step process in identifying the lie. All right? A four-step process. And so the first one, we're going to identify identify the problem. That's the first thing we're going to do. So every one of us, how many has some problems up in here? Anybody? Yeah, you have a few things? Every one of us does. So we're going to identify the problem. And we're going to come back and do this here in a little bit in real time, okay? So I'm going to have somebody in the audience say something that's a problem. We're going we're gonna to work it out on the board. Is that cool? And you can say something that's not a big problem if you want. It's like, well, I ain't going to say that one. I'll say this one. All right. <laughs> we're going to ask probing questions. Probing questions. We're going to ask probing questions. And I'm going to give you those here in just a little bit, okay? But that's that next thing we're going to do. Third thing we're going to do is we're going to pinpoint the lie. Pinpoint the lie. And then fourth thing, we're going to replace, replace lie with truth. Replace the lie with the truth. All right, let's walk down through this. So when it comes to you have to identify the problem, um, that is that point in your life when you're going to take capture of your thoughts. What's the problem? What am I thinking? What keeps getting me in trouble? So this is where the thoughts are. What are the thoughts that come? What, what is that issue that comes? And in order to identify that, you're going to start asking questions so you can identify those thoughts, okay? And I'm not going to go through all of these. These are in your notes on mymomentumchurch.tv, mymomentumchurch.tv. Go to the notes today, and it's at the bottom. But those questions will be like, why am I doing this? When did this start? How does this make me feel? Is fear driving this? If so, what am I afraid of? Is there a certain trigger that prompts this? If so, why do I spend so much money compulsively or do this so compulsively, whatever it is? Then you move into the asking, probing questions, even more so once you start to realize, this is my behavior, this is the thing I'm struggling with, this is the thought that grabs me so often. And so you begin to say, what's driving that behavior? What need do I feel this is meeting? Does when I do this, does it help me understand why I'm doing this? What is the different about this habit than other habits that I've been able to quit? What's different about this action than other actions I could stop? What's different about this thought than other thoughts that I could easily divert from? What is that? 
When did this start? Why do I feel this way? Why do I insist on being in control when I know deep down I'm not? What is the real need that I'm dealing with here? And what this is, as you start to figure this out, these probing questions here, it's going to help you to understand what your rut is. What your rut is. Because a rut is something that you have started to move into practice, okay? And so you're trying to catch the rut before it happens. Then finally, you begin to pinpoint the lie. You know, that's that thing that is over, over your life. I mean, that's an easy one, lie. And then you're going to bring what God's word says to bear upon it. Set that down there. All right. And so, well, I did have one more thing. So basically, when it comes to this idea of, of, of figuring this out, this is kind of your, your steps to figuring things out. There's a point when reframing has to take place in the midst of this, all right? You reframe and replace the lie with truth. So this is where this comes into play. There's a lot of work to do on the front side of this. Why is there so much work to do on the front side? Because the back side of this is automatic. Does that make sense? There's a lot of work to do on the intention and the reframing and getting that together because the outcome is automatic. After you set that pathway, it just, I, I just inevitably continue to make these same mistakes. I just inevitably continue to have these same actions and so on. And so reframing happens when you take the exposed lie and you begin to replace that lie with truth. I'll give you a couple examples. And so you can kind of kind of see this. So this is kind of quick. When we get to our examples, we're going to work together. We're going to use that a little longer, but kind of just to keep us timely today, because I preached the second longest sermon I've ever preached last week in second service. First was a little shorter. And I know y'all were like, it was? Yeah. Second was a little longer. Not don't do that today. So the lie, I'm a victim. Nothing good ever happens to me. There's the lie. I've got to take that lie and begin to replace it with truth. I've got to reframe that. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a great truth. I'm not a victim because God is for me. But the lie comes and says I'm a victim. But in that truthful moment, I can just grab a hold of that and start to hold on to that. And it's not automatic. It takes time. It takes time with that thought. It takes declarations with that thought. That declaration might be, God tells me that I'm not a victim, but a victor in Christ. I'm an overcomer through Christ. Who can be against me if God is for me? I'm not a victim. And that's a declaration. And you begin to repeat that in your mind. Begin to study about that. Begin to journal about that. Begin to work through that. Begin to go to counseling for that. I'm going to get to that toward the end, all right? I'm not saying that magic is going to happen, amen? At the end, we're going to see how God and the power of God can in a moment bring change. But a lot of change takes place in the brain as you train the brain to walk out what God desires. That's why he told you to renew, to, 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 to be conformed. Don't be conformed to the world, but to renew your mind through. Uh, but you know what I'm trying to say. Good old line. Here we go again. Yes. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. There it is. Number, number two lie here. I'll try this one. God can't be trusted. So I need to take control of my life. 
I need to take control of my finances. I need to take control of this situation. I got to make the decisions. I, got, I can't trust God. The truth, God demonstrates his love for us. Isn't that why we were sinners? He died for us. If we can trust God with the greatest thing that we have, our own lives, and not just our lives in this earth, but our lives eternal, and he loved us even when we were sinners, then we can trust God with anything. And so we replace it with the truth. And that declaration may sound like God loves me more than I love myself. He knows me more than I know myself. And he has my best interest in mind. He can be trusted. If God didn't spare his own son so that I can walk in life, in life that's abundant and eternal, then he'll employ anything necessary for my life. I can trust God. So that's just one of the ways that works. And, And we can see the opposite of that all through Scripture. In Numbers chapter 13, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, send out men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Do you hear the truth in that? I am giving this this land of Canaan to the people of Israel. Who said it? God said it. I mean, this is a promise that you can go to the bank on. This This is what this is. But the spies came back, and when the spies came back, even though this was a land full of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land with so much provision, what they saw, they said, the people are strong, and some of them are even giants. And I love it. That same information, because Caleb and Joshua were with these guys. They saw the same thing. That same information as it's related back to the people of Israel that day, that same information is the things that that, that Caleb could be thinking about, but he had already started to reframe it. He had already started reframing this. He had already started getting that mindset. If God says it, that settles it. If God said, we can do this. And he says this, he goes, let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome. I mean, he's just like, God said it. We saw it. Yeah, it looks discouraging, but God said it, so it's time. Let's go now and walk in what God has for us. They came back a little later, and this is what they said. They said, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed to them. I mean, that's verbatim. That's exactly what the scripture says. We seemed to ourselves, and so we seemed to them. It wasn't the idea that how they know that we saw ourselves this way and we know they see us this way too. It gave power to the situation where those, those 10 didn't want to go in and conquer. But Joshua and Caleb knew God had given them the land. Amen? And so why? Because they started reframing around truth. God already said it. As you read the passage in Numbers 13, you will see that there's still some doubt. It may be that God will be for us. And they're still struggling with those things. They're still wondering. But then they get to that place where, literally, we know that God has given us this day. Like, we know it. And so they're they're wrestling in the reframing so they can walk in the truth, that outcome, when it was time to walk in it. Let me give you another one because I think David, at least I feel like I relate maybe more to David than I do Joshua and Caleb. This is Psalms 43. We'll put this one on the screen. Listen to what David says. Because you're going to hear lie in this, and then you're going to hear reframing truth in this. 
Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you, so you can see part of his issue. He's feeling like he's, he has all these people coming up against him, okay? For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? And I love it that God's okay with us coming to him with these kinds of doubts, amen? I mean, he's saying this, like literally to God. All these are coming against me, vindicate me, but I feel like, God, you're rejecting me. Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Oh, that's good. I recognize in myself, David, saying that my mind is so bent on going toward the lie that I need your light and truth to come and help guide the way. And you're going to see how this plays out a little bit further. Watch this. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Your light and your truth. I'm discouraged. I'm not staying out of the house of God. Come on, somebody. I'm discouraged. I'm not distancing myself from the people of God. I'm discouraged. I'm not distancing myself from God Almighty himself. I'm going to God, and, and I'm saying, God, I don't get this. I feel rejected by you. But he's going to God, and he's letting the light and truth bring him to the holy hill of God, to his dwelling, to that place. Watch. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, and oh God, my God. Now, here's what's neat about this. His situation hasn't changed yet. In one passage, he is saying, this is how I feel. I'm frustrated with God even, but God, I know I can draw near to you, to your dwelling, to your altar. You can replace the lies with the light and truth of who you are in your word. And now watch what he does when he reframes and he positions himself for what God was going to do. Watch this, verse five. He says to himself, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? He tells himself, hope in God. <laughs> For I shall again praise him, my salvation, my God. Can you see that? So he starts off wanting vindicate. He starts off feeling like God's rejected him. He's so frustrated. And he could have stayed in that. And I'll be honest, I don't know the timeline of this. I didn't take time to look if this was before, you know, his, his, his adulterous experience or after. I wish I would have found that out. But right now I'm thinking, I'm discouraged. I'm going to find me another rooftop to look upon. I can't trust you, God. You won't vindicate me. You've rejected me. I'm going to find, that gave me momentary relief. I'm going to find me another rooftop to look upon, to see another woman sunbathe. I'm going to find me another to call to my chambers. I'm going to find, again, I can't verify if that was before or after. I wish I would have. That just popped in my head. But no, he went to God, even in his frustration. And he began to reframe. You can see him reframing. Why? Because he knew that if I continue down this thought, and that's where my repetition lies, I'll be on a rooftop again. But you can see how the power of a lie can hold you bound. If they would have listened to the power of a lie, those, those, two spi or those ten spies, they never would have possessed what God had. And the thing about it is you're not even bound by what's real. You're bound by something that's in your head and heart. 
It doesn't have to necessarily be in your destiny, but it will if we can't break the, bound, bind, bind, the bondages in our heart and mind of the lies. You've all heard the story where they take an elephant and they have a big chain on the elephant's leg and the elephant can't go anywhere. And over time, they take that chain and they bring it down to a cord and he still can't go anywhere. And then they bring it down, or to a rope, and then they bring it down to a cord. And that elephant won't leave camp. Why? Because it's conditioned. Its neuropathways have been set in such a way that leaving camp isn't even an, an option. Walking in the truth is not even an option because the lie is being owned so much in that moment. And that's kind of how we are at times too. And so I want to take some ruts. I want to take a rut. Time-wise, I think we're just going to do one this morning. Let's take a rut this morning. And let's use this process of uncovering the lie, reframing the lie by using truth, and then what it looks like to walk in repetition concerning that truth so that we can create a positive feedback that will help us continue to walk in that truth. And so this is audience participation, and um, I'm a little bit nervous about this. I want you to think about what you're thinking about, all right? So when it comes to that thought, what's, what, give me a struggle, something, something that maybe you or somebody else has faced at one point. Anger? Anger? Okay. Give me something specific about, you got that anger, I want something specific that that anger continues to, to happen, like it continues to get lashed out at. Road rage. Okay, wow, we'll do this one. Ha <laughs> this is going to be fun. All right, so, so here, we're going to say anger is the thought. I get angry so easy. The rut that I'm finding myself in, for some reason, is the rut of road rage. That road rage, mm, it just gets upon me. All right, so every one of us has been in this situation. My kids can tell you, Daddy's been in this situation. Grant, one of, Maverick, one of his favorite stories, a guy cut us off, and I holler out the window, I got my kids in here! And Grant, Mac, rather, he loves telling that story. I, I got my kids in here! I was not happy. There was a time when I would have chased him down, and at the light, hoped that he was stuck in front, between, and I would have jumped out. Isn't it not true, Amy? But the Lord delivered me. I've got, I'm getting a lot better as I get older. All right, so anger's at the root. We start asking those probing questions. Was it something today that set me off? Was there an experience this morning that got me so tense that when there was an opportunity to pop off in road rage, I popped off? Is this something in my life that I find happens other places? We may excuse road rage, but what about children raging at the kids? What about raging at the wife? What about raging at the boss? Or is it just the road? You've you, you got to ask those questions you're trying to to discover what that might be is, be it. And then you're asking more questions about that road rage. You know what? He cut me off. Why did that bug me so much? And what is in me that feels like I deserve to not be cut off? What is in me that feels as if he violated? I feel violated. The anger I'm feeling is I've been violated. Why does that make, the guy cut me off. Why do I feel so violated? Is there other areas in my life that I feel violated in? Is there other areas in my life that, that I feel as if, as if no matter how good I do, I get cut off in a sense? You know, what is it? What is it about this? And I deserve better. 
I'm just going to throw this out for sake of time. Could the lie be, could the lie be something to where you realize, you know what? I deserve better. I'm a good person, and I deserve better. And when I get cut off, it just reminds me that nobody wants to, nobody wants to um, give me the place that I deserve. And I get that, but if we're not careful with that line of thinking, guess what that becomes? Entitlement. Entitlement. Do I live entitled? And when I don't get my way, I get angry. Now you've got to ask yourself, is it road rage or is it something deeper? And maybe, maybe you have a counselor you're talking with or a spouse or a friend, and they're like, yeah, you don't get your way. You get really upset. So now you know that the truth or the, the, the lie over you, it's not just about road rage. It's about if you don't get your way, you get really upset. And that's hurting your relationships more, more than some anonymous... I'm not going to curse him. But you know those words, do you think, when you're having road rage? And so now you have to start to think with entitlement, you know? And maybe it's the idea that you think, you know what? I saw Jesus. When he went to the cross, he had every reason to have rage. But he chose. He had a power of choice in that moment. And it wasn't weakness. It was power. Remember intention? Remember think? Two things? It was power. He had the ability to choose to be powerful in that moment. And then with that, he had choices. He could have secreted himself away. He could have just wiped out the whole garrison that came after him. He could have, no, no, no. He had a choice. And he sucked it up. He sucked it up so much he didn't even go before them trying to plead his case. He just owned it. But he had every right to be offended. But he chose to sacrifice his offense for a greater reason, a greater cause. See what I'm saying? And so now I'm starting to reframe. Jesus, I'm not like you at all. Help me. Because I do. I get into this road rage, and when it happens, it messes up my whole day. I get into this loop, and next thing you know, I'm just frustrated with everybody. Lord, help me not to go through life feeling entitled. Help me not go through life feeling as if I, I deserve more than I, I, I get. Help me, Lord. See what I'm saying? Amen. And we can go through that over and over. If you go to your, your mymomentumchurch.tv, you will find this in there, you know, as far as those categories. And just do a few with your own self and diagram them out, okay? Just do a few. And here's the thing. It's like, you might say, but pastor, I believe I've been doing this. And things haven't changed. I, I get that. Like I said, some of the, the reoccurring lies that try to get me to reframe in a way or frame in a way that would limit me, a limiting belief, man, I've had to continue to reframe and practice new actions over and over and over. But I would do you a disservice if I said that you just mentally get here, all right? I think there's more because when it comes to reframing, reframing isn't something you do once, Reframing is something that is part of that repetition. It's part of what continues to bring about that desired end. And so the Bible says, having done all to stand, stand, therefore. And I believe there's some ways that we can walk in that reframing truth. If reframing is the act of replacing, because that's what it is, there's some ways that we can continue to replace. I don't think that we can get to the place of reframing without repentance, 
There may be some things in your life you realize, I got to repent of these things. I got to leave these at an altar. But we have to, at some point, move past repentance and into continued action that is practicing those desired things that create the outcome God desires for you. I can't just keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, I got to grab this and reframe it and begin to act in the way that God would want me to act over and over and over. And oh, I stumbled. Okay, get back up. And over and over as it's continued to shape you. Now, here's the thing. Some of the ways that we can continue to replace the lies and walk in the truth that God has given us, I believe, don't just lie within yourself. They lie within others. And so here's some of the ways that I think you can continue to reframe. Because if you're like, Ross, this is just thinking yourself to the next level. This is just thinking yourself happy. This is just, no, no, no. It's more work than that. And so some of you, you'll need to be in a community if you're going to continue to reframe your life around the truths of what God has for you instead of the lie. You can't do it on your own. You need to be in a community. That might be a small group. That might be a ministry team. That might be a forum. That might be some, but some community that continues to help you. For some of you, it'll be serving. will help reframe. That's one of the things for me. Is, as I do, I see God, God's results, and it always gives me confidence. So when the lie comes, I've seen your results, God. I trust you. I don't trust me, but when the lie comes, I can remind the enemy of the outcome. So for some of you, it might be serving together with others. For others in this room to continue to reframe properly, guess what you need? A counselor and good counseling, good therapy, amen? I love therapy. I'm going to shout about therapy. Come on, somebody. I, do, I think therapy's awesome. I think God has brought gifted therapists Obviously, I tell you about find yourself a believer that's the therap- a therapist, but I think therapy can be one of those. Or education, continuing to fill yourself with learning concerning those areas that you know are lies you fall into easily. That education, it'll continue to fill your mind with truth, replacing the lies that are always waiting there to deceive and pull you down. And then I want to finish with this, because when it comes down to it, We can't deny the supernatural. I don't want you just to will yourself better. We need the supernatural component. And I believe a key to bringing all this together is the power of the Holy Spirit being on your side. He said, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord, that you can accomplish things. And so if we leave this three days or three Sundays with just the idea that cognitive behavioral therapy and these practices will bring change, then I have short, I have, I have, I have not served you fully. Amen? We've shortchanged ourselves. We've got to get the anointing of God on our situation. Amen? We got to. God's presence and his power will keep you during this process if you lean into him. This is hard work. Don't do it alone. Do it with the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen? It's hard work. 1 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Then it says the verse we looked at earlier. 
this powerful weapon of God that we have. Then it says, cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. So it's a spiritual fight. It's a spiritual battle as well. And that's why we at times will call you to an altar. That's why at times we'll call you to that place where man meets God. We don't call you to an altar just for a quick fix. No, no. It's a moment in time that anoints your reframing. How many has been to an altar for prayer and you left and you didn't get healed? Raise your hand. How many has been to an altar for prayer and you prayed for a marriage situation that at times, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but at times you're still struggling with? I'll raise my hand. How many times have you been to an altar? Why do we call you to an altar? It's because it's where man meets God. It's not that in that moment you're going to get your miracle. Sometimes that does happen. How many has been in a moment you've had a miracle from God before? Raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. I'll raise my hand because I can raise my hand. Years ago, I couldn't raise this arm. You know it's crippled. I've told you that before. And I couldn't get it above here without turning it like this, and then I could get it up. I had to get the plate in there lined up. And I was in a church service, and the preacher said, if you got a restriction in your bones in this building right now, do what you couldn't do. Do it in Jesus' name. And I went, boom, (laughs) in a moment. It had been three or four years that I had to do this weird, weird thing. So I've been in that moment before, but the altar is a place of reframing. It's a place where, man, God, I just want to hear your word on this. I want your touch on this. I need your power on this. I go back to that Psalms passage with David. He said, send out your light, your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar. I don't feel like I can go on one more day in the sickness that I have. I, got, I want to get to the altar. I don't feel like I, our marriage, we're going to get to the altar. I don't feel like, no, we're going, to use, we're going to get to the altar of God. And that may be here, that may be at home, but we're going to get to the presence of God and ask him to help us in this moment. That's a reframing. His spirit gets involved and the lie stops having its hold upon you. Amen. And it goes even beyond that. I'll go to the altar of God. To my God, my exceeding, with exceeding joy, I will praise you with the lyre, oh God, my God. And he's like, I'm going to worship you in the middle of this. I'm going to praise you in the middle of this. For me, and Amy knows this to be true, in my life, whenever I hit that wall so strong that the lies are overwhelming, I'll go to worship. Amy's seen it. My kids have seen it for years. I'll be over in my chair just worshiping the Lord. And I'll be a mess. I I feel as if I can't trust God. I'm struggling to put my hope and faith in him. Even today, Amy and I are coveting in prayer for something this afternoon that we're believing God will do in a family member. And last night, the lie was coming up over my head. God's not going to do that. You can't trust God for that. But man, I'll get over there and I'll just, great is thy faithfulness, Lord God almighty. There is no shadow of turning with thee thou changest not thy compassions they fail not great is thy faithfulness lord unto me great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness Morning by morning, new mercies I see. 
All I have needed, thy hands hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. That lie will just come. And I'm just going to replace it with his, 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 his word, what he says in his presence. I feel like he's distant, like I can't even see him in the midst of my, my situation. I feel Jesus. I feel Jesus. I feel Jesus in this place. Yes, my soul does burn within me. I feel Jesus in this place. I remember as a, as, as a young daddy just feeling like I had nothing, and I'd be in there in the kids' room, and they'd be sleeping. And I would just say, surround me, oh, Lord. His presence would come in that room. Surround me, oh, Lord. You better mess up your whole life, Russ. But I'd sing, surround me, oh, Lord. In your presence is where I want to be. Guess what? His spirit would come in that room. I don't know what tool you need, but that's the tool I have. Amen? That's just something I've always used. Why? Because i got to get the anointing of God on it, too. Not just cognitive behavioral therapy, but I need the anointing of on it. And when the enemy lies to me and tells me who I'm not, I want to be there to be able to say, I am who God said I am. I am because God said I am. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Oh, I am because God said I am. The church would go like this. Amen? Feeling defeated, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. I'm a soldier in the army. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. I'm a soldier in the army. It works for me, y'all. It's my reframing. It's what the Lord has used. For you, it might be plain, your favorite worship band, get elevation on, repeat. And just reframe. It may be just the word. The word God reframes me as well. All I'm wanting you to get, let's stand to our feet. All I'm wanting you to get understanding for today is this. We got to do what we got to do. Amen? But then we got to let him do what he wants to do. And both are important. Amen? Too often the church has said just get prayed for and your life will change. And they haven't taken time to say it's going to take some brain training. Because God said that. To be renewed by the transforming of your mind. Or transformed by the renewing of your mind. But then on the other side, if it's just this, it's humanism. If it's just this and cognitive behavior and that's all, then you lose power. You've got some principles, but there's no power. You've got some actions to do, but there's no anointing. And I want us to be a place where we embrace both. Amen? Amen. Raise your hand if you're going through something right now. I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we close today, I ask that you see those with hands raised. God, begin to replace those lies in the name of Jesus. Begin to bring truth, I pray, God, that they can hold fast to. Begin to show them ways that they can reframe those, 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 those lies they're getting with the truth and allow them to walk into the outcome and the experiences that you have because you are our God of peace in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.